0: Welcome to The Spawn Shunks, episode number 284 for Monday, February 12th, 2024. This is a podcast all about Minecraft available across all major platforms. If you're enjoying the show, consider subscribing wherever you're listening to this. My name is Joel Duggan and joining me as always is my friend Johnny on the road to recovery. You may know him as Pixariffs. Hello,
1: hello. If you've been enjoying the road to the Super Bowl, uh, or if you're on a road to recovery yourself, then you may be interested in listening to the Render Distance, where we talk about both of these things. I've been ill this last week, and so I've been recovering from that. And of course, the big game was this Sunday. So if that's your bag, you can listen to the Render Distance. That's the extended version of the podcast by becoming a patron of the show at patreoncom slash chunks. We don't talk about football and illness every weekend, but uh, occasionally they come up when they're relevant. You can also listen to, in the uh, patron RSS feed, the monthly Minecraft hangout we recorded at the end of January, where we sat down with our patrons and they shared screenshots of all the stuff they've been building in Minecraft lately, and our quarterly hangout recorded at the beginning of February, where Joel and I went over some of the -the behind-the-scenes facts and figures of the podcast. Those are still fresh, so you can get them now in the patron's RSS feed, along with the extended version of the show so as we've been talking about in the render distance i got ill on monday night so i have played very little minecraft since the last show i have played a little bit though so i'll briefly uh, recap my my latest project ideas and obviously even if you're not playing minecraft actively we talked about it a few shows ago about bringing in inspiration from all sorts of different places so this is a short film that came across my path a little while ago. Uh, Somebody I follow on Twitter retweeted it. And it's basically like a special effects guy called Paul Chadayerson. Hopefully I'm pronouncing his surname right. And uh, he came up with a really kind of high concept sci-fi short film about a corporation in the far future that is effectively industrialized to the point where they are aggressively taking over planets, mining them for resources, and using those resources to create effectively a giant fleet of like battleships and stuff that just end up like thrown out on the surface of this planet meaning that nobody can really land anywhere and all of this stuff is just waste effectively and it's kind of like a a meta commentary on capitalism and 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 waste in our culture but at the same time features all of these fantastic very detailed, very kind of high-scale sci-fi concepts. And so I've been looking at one of these and thinking this would be a really fun thing to build in Minecraft. I've provided a few screenshots and the link to the short film uh, for our Discord audience, and you can probably find those in the show notes as well. But um, if you want to imagine a kind of cylindrical oil rig pulling a chunk out of a planet... Uh, like it's just taken the core out of an apple and there is evidence in the short film of them having done this multiple times in the same area just trying to like optimize the amount of circular area they can pull out and now imagine that in Minecraft with like the full height of the terrain in a chunk Um, and that's what I'm aiming to do at some point in the near future Uh, so I'd be mining out the entire thing from build height to bedrock you know as much terrain as there was and then floating above the terrain try to recreate the contents of that chunk from the bottom up and have it be held in the sky by this massive factory um lots of greebles as well if you're familiar with the term from like the star wars production designs st- stuff where you know if you wanted to have the outside of a ship covered in radar dishes and little kind of components that look like they've got some sort of function like planetary sensors and that kind of thing um yeah so th- there's, there's lots of little fascinating details in there that i'm going to try and reproduce and i don't know if i'll be able to recreate it on the kind of scale that is shown in the, in the film but i think it's a uh, a kind of fun idea for mining out an area filling up the sky above it with something and then potentially even doing something with the darkness underneath it whether that's a a mob farm lower down although having all of the stuff above it wouldn't necessarily make it the most efficient farm but I, i've got some ideas for what's going to go inside in the meantime
0: that's a fun idea i I like the concept of like taking the chunk out of the earth like out of the minecraft world and then not just removing all those blocks and they end up in a chest but like putting it somewhere else and turning it into something else and have it be clear somehow visually that you know this came from that and now both of these things the hole in the ground and the thing that's around have a different function now
1: yeah yeah, yeah, that's 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 my my loose notion of it, and in the film, it's a very vibrant, colorful kind of planet. So there's a lot of different layers, almost a, a little bit like the um, the layers of terracotta in a mesa biome. And right. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to find an area like that that I want to do this. So I, I I don't want to do it in a mesa. I'm thinking probably like a jungle biome or something like that. So you've got some vibrant green, but then you get to see all of the different layers of Minecraft terrain through this superstructure around it. And it's kind of pulled out everything from deep slate layers and tough blobs and then veins of diorite. I'm hopefully going to tag a couple of geodes on the way down. I don't have a specific area like planned out for it yet, but I think, yeah, if we get a few geodes in there, maybe a couple of landmarks that i can reposition further upwards obviously won't be able to do anything with bedrock and whatnot but yeah i'm kind of curious to see what i'll be able to pull out if i pick a chunk at random give it a roll of the dice and see what happens
0: and if you're thinking about it like an alien planet then there's opportunities to create something as to like what does the core actually look like if you get down that deep does it change into a different material like Mm. what happens after deep flight and you can put like a, a faux layer of your own creation down in the depths you know maybe inspired by hitting something like a dripstone cave or a lush cave or uh, a geode as you mentioned i i could see hitting a geode and either like leaving it in this wall like a cross section which would look cool but then also maybe saying all right well i don't want it there what if i made it like i actually hit a geode large enough that we we can't see around it like the whole bottom of the of the cylinder could be like would like and mm-hmm. then use it to kind of create your own texture that could be kind of fun too
1: yeah yeah like give a a, a bit more of a fantastical approach to the existing minecraft landscape mm. and I, I might do a bit of stratification instead of uh the blobs of diorite and granite and stuff that we find like turn those into more yeah. like streaks and veins layers of material which i've done with, with the floating island build recently so I, i'm a big fan of how that ends up looking so yeah maybe we'll maybe we'll um modify it slightly but i also like the idea of being able to fly into the area underneath it and see where those things match up so it's going to be an interesting project but either way give me something to keep myself occupied a lot of chop tuesday streams are going to be uh, probably digging out this large area and then finding a way to replace the blocks above
0: some good way to get some resources too
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have no idea how much ore I'm going to find down there, but uh, yeah, there may well be a, a good way to stockpile on some diamonds once we get further down. Uh, so yeah, that's me. That's It's really just theoretical right now. I haven't really put any of this into action yet, but that's a, a project for the near future. Uh, how about you, Joel?
0: So I have finished the decoration and the landscaping along the southern river banks of the West Hill River. And so... That involved going around the bend, uh, sitting on a couple of different points of interest, like the the big dock on the west side of town. There's a smaller dock just outside of town, like a fishing dock, and making sure that the river banks that I could see from that point were decorated to my, I guess, my standards. Um, but I also w- made sure that as I rounded the, the corner, the river curves to the west as it goes south. And once I'm around the bend, you can't see West Hill, you're nowhere near it. So at that point, I didn't need to do any more. So it very quickly goes from decorated by Joel to not at all. And that's fine. I just I can't be decorating the countryside. I'll be it'll take me forever to finish this build if I do that. So um, but it, it it ended up doing very well. I changed some of the ways that I was doing it because it went from something that was very close up along the fishing village to something that was a lot farther away and There was a lot more trees closer to the riverbank and where the riverbank actually meets the river. And so I ended up adding a couple of my own. I didn't do custom. I just kind of grew a couple of saplings and then went back and just kind of added a couple of extra roots, brought some of the mangrove roots and made it look like some of the roots of the trees went down into the water. And it's surprising how effective that is. Like you don't have to make a giant custom tree, grow a regular Minecraft tree and then tweak the bottom and tweak the top and you're done. Uh, I did lean one of the trees out over the the water a little bit just to kind of create a more interesting silhouette and it all really works from a distance. So it came together quite nicely uh, using things like soul sand, soul soil and coarse dirt to look like pine needle brush along the base of the trees and then have that kind of break up the monotony of like green grass next to river the whole way around. So I was really happy with that. The uh, the other thing that I did was the dreaded bottom of the river. Uh, I, I don't like the mechanics of swimming around in Minecraft and decorating. I, getting somewhere and doing something underwater briefly is fine. Um, I do, in, in long streams like this, take off my elytra. So I'm not constantly having that weird bouncing on the surface of the water whenever I come out. But the problem is that a lot of this river has been sculpted by me and filled in by me. And so not every single block of water underneath the water is a source block. Some of them are flowing downwards and I can't see them. And so you'll be walking along or swimming along at a regular pace or a regular position. I guess I shouldn't say swimming. You're moving through the water vertically like a a player. I'm not entered into swim mode because I find you move too fast in swim mode when you're doing detailed work. And when you pass through one of those water columns, you get forced down into swim mode and i equate it to turbulence with an airplane Mm -hmm. i don't really get seasick when i move the mouse around and i look around with my character in minecraft but what affects me is like vertical shifts up and down so same thing plane turning doesn't bother me plane dropping vertically by a couple meters during turbulence really uncomfortable for me and and that's what I, i think is it happens in in this so it did it did keep my streams short uh in in terms of the um length to try to get this done but the good news is that having done this before using you know the economy of where am i going to see the bottom of the river and where am i just not and have that focus my my time so things like near the giant loading dock you know near a a small beachhead uh near along the um the wharf the fishing wharf where it makes sense that you can see it. There's sometimes the river bends or there's enough of a shadow from the trees where like you just really can't see the bottom anyway. So it doesn't matter. And they're just little things like rocks. Uh, vegetation is denser and hand placed around, you know, a little point of interest, like a like a small fishing dock or the, the big loading dock. There's a more variety. There's like azalea bushes and kelp and uh, tall seagrass. And they're all kind of placed in situations that make sense. Uh, dense little clusters here and there when the river might slow down that kind of thing but the rest of the time it was just me running through the river and spamming bone meal uh, in in the places where it's not really that important like this is not a place where people are stopping and looking it's just this is just you know the river is moving around and uh it's really not too bad like in terms of the the amount of time it takes because you're just running through once and spamming the bone meal and then going back the other way and using your shears to thin out the the seagrass because it tends to come in these really weird square clumps mm-hmm. and i just kind of make it look like it's flowing the way that the river is flowing so rather than anything that has a square pattern or a pattern that goes across the river i just kind of make it look like the pattern kind of flows with the river whether the river's curving there or going in a different direction so that uh is now all done and uh i've been able to reorganize the to-do list and break the other rivers into sections so it now feels like a little bit more palatable so when I look at the Spruce River which is what I've renamed the river on the west side of the town uh, I can look at it and say okay I've got the west river bank north and south I've got the bottom of the river north and south and I think that's it because the, the east side of the river is all town like that's all done I've done that like many moons ago so it provides like a smaller checklist. You don't think like fix Spruce River. And it's just this ginormous task of doing this whole thing around the whole bio. So it's nice to have those things finished. And I'm really happy with the way it looks. Uh, I wish my shaders naturally had a little bit of a better look underwater. I might try to tweak that a little bit, but I found a small glitch in that if you go into spectator mode, because i am been on the server and this is how I get my screenshots for thumbnails and whatnot, is I just, I switch to spectator and I fly up in the, in the air and just look around for good vantage points. But if you're in the riverbank, like if the player is actually in a block, then the water renders virtually clear and you still get the reflection of the surface of the water. So you can tell that you're underwater, but there's not this really weird Navy blue fog that happens. Yeah. And some of it is because I don't like the texture that shaders often give to water in Minecraft. I prefer it to have the Minecraft pixelated texture, but still have the reflectivity of water. And so when I do that, underwater can be a little bit bland from a shader perspective. But 99% of the time, I'm not underwater anyway. Uh, But because of that little fun visual glitch, it's almost like having a, a night vision potion. Uh, when you stick your head inside of a block, you can see very clearly all the decorating that I've done. So I I have a couple screenshots I'll share on the show notes this week that have the vibrant, very bright green, and it kind of made me wonder like it would be really interesting to make an underwater build, but in a way where it would be visually very very clear for people i'm not sure whether it would be a shader or a data pack or using a conduit or whatever to try and like make the the experience as bright and sunny as if you're outside in the air as possible but still have that cool floaty animated effect because what you don't get from the screenshots is of course everything is moving with the seagrass and the kelp like everything is kind of swaying back and forth and you don't get that at all in builds above the surface in minecraft uh unless you have like those wobbly shaders but i never use those so it's one of those things that feels a lot more alive under the water despite the fact that you're not there very often here is the
1: recommendation i will make and it's a surprising combination but i think it it works pretty well for getting that level of visibility you're looking for conduit power night vision potions swamp biome Because the water in swamps has more of a gray overlay instead of a blue Mm -hmm. overlay when it comes to the actual water texture. And so when you're in a swamp area, you find that everything underwater feels slightly clearer because it doesn't have that blue tint applied to the entire thing. But conduit power really does improve the range at which you can see, which I think is one of the major things. It's like there isn't as much like distance fog and fall off of the lighting as happens if you're just using night vision potions and then night vision helps to clarify all of the other elements and like the shadows and whatnot that you're going to naturally get underwater anyway and once you've done some more stuff with lighting maybe you can pull the night vision potions back a little bit but i do think it's an interesting thing to figure out and i'm kind of surprised that people don't do this more frequently is go to a swamp clear out a large area, and be able to fill it with water to the extent where you can float around almost as though you could fly in creative mode and do all of your building on the water with conduit power so you don't lose you know, the water breathing effect. And I think right. that's, that's honestly an interesting canvas for a project like that where, like you say, you want a bit of the motion to be involved in it. You want some of the underwater physics and everything. You shouldn't have to worry about mobs because Drowned won't spawn in a swamp biome unless there's a dripstone cave under it. And I think you could get a lot done in that kind of environment if you have the right circumstances for it.
0: Yeah, for me, I just think about the movement and I go, "It's yeah, a cool yeah, idea. You, but yeah. then like for me, and this me personally, like that's not all players. That's just me thinking like I don't want to be seasick for hours at a time as I'm underwater floating around in Minecraft being pushed around or what I uh, yeah, it's, it's an appealing idea that I think it's an appealing idea for somebody else to do. Yeah, the, I, I think <laughs> so.
1: the, the other alternative is that you get so used to it that you feel like an astronaut coming back from space when you step on land and you're like, oh, what right. is this gravity yeah. that I have to deal with now, you know? So yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, like you said, not for everyone, but an interesting prospect if you want uh, a, a weird project to take on at some
0: stage. Moving on into the news this week, Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 24W06A was published on Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. Experimental features in 24W06A. The wind charge. Using a wind charge will fire off a wind charge projectile similar to the Breeze's attack. The wind charge fired by a player will grant 10% more knockback than a Breeze's wind charge, but will have a much smaller area of impact. Just like the projectile fired by the breeze, wind charges fired by the player also deal damage if they hit an entity directly. The breeze's drops between 4 and 6 wind charges when killed, there is a half second cooldown after each use, wind charges can be fired from a dispenser, and players that launch themselves with a wind charge only accumulate fall damage below the Y level of which they collided with the wind burst. The texture of vaults has been tweaked to make them easier to distinguish from trial spawners. Changes in 24W06A. Armadillos do not panic when damaged, but instead roll up and hide their head and feet. Armadillos peek out to see if the coast is clear before unrolling. There are new animations and sounds for rolling up, unrolling, and the peek out animation. Quote, with these changes, work on the armadillo is done for now, and we will be switching our attention to wolf armor instead. Tamed wolves and wolf armor? Tamed wolves now have 40 health points, 20 hearts, instead of 20 health points, which was 10 hearts. They no longer take half damage from most environmental sources like they used to. In most cases, this change will make no difference given that the health boost is there, but they can now withstand more damage from players and arrows. Feeding a wolf now heals twice as many health points. Japanese font variants. A new option has been added to select Japanese variants from the CJK characters. Replacement glyphs come from the Japanese version of the UniFont font. This new option is included in the font settings menu accessible from the language menu. The difficult value, the default value of this option is based on system local language settings. And the Force Unicode button has been moved to font settings. Technical changes in 24W06A. The Dynapec version is now 31. Potion effect amplifiers can be restricted between 0 and 255 again. The former behavior of effects such as jump boost, levitation, and mining fatigue over 127 have been replaced with new attributes. Added generic gravity attribute to control downward acceleration when falling. Added generic safe fall distance, an attribute to control the fall distance after which the entity will take fall damage. Added generic fall damage multiplier, an attribute to multiply overall fall damage amount. Renamed horse jump strength to generic jump strength and now applies to all entities. This controls the base impulse from a jump before jump boost or modifier on a block. Added player block break speed, Attributes that act like a multiplier over block breaking speeds for players. A variety of other attributes have been renamed for formatting consistency, separating words using underscores and switching to lowercase characters. Improved hopper performance. A hopper will no longer try to pick up entities if there is a full block placed above it. This will improve performance for many redstone builds, but will break some mechanics that relied on glitching items into a block above a hopper. Fixed Bugs of Note in 24W06A. Snow Golems Snowballs would damage wolves instead of just pushing them. Tamed Wolf Health would reset when NBT is loaded, example when a player relogs. Hoppers could pick up items through a downward-facing barrel. Baby Armadillos did not make an eating sound when feeding spider eyes. The music tracks, Shinji and Dragonfish and Oxlottle no longer played when underwater and horse armor and wolf armor could disappear when right-clicking in the air a full list of bug fixes and other technical changes can be found in the minecraft.net changelog linked in our show notes at thespunchunks.com. so the biggest thing in this is the addition of the
1: wind charge and i think that's perhaps what many of us expected to happen with the breeze since it has a fairly unique attack Similar to the blaze, we have a fire charge which doesn't quite act like a blaze fireball since the player can't throw it, but you can use a dispenser to fire it and then of course it can set a fire if right clicked on a block. So it seems like there is a fairly logical line to be drawn between, oh this is the breeze, it kind of looks like a wind version of the blaze, it kind of drops something that feels like a fire charge. And them calling it a wind charge when it was used to attack the player in the beginning sort of led to us thinking, sure, why not a wind charge item? But as an item, I think it seems to have a good amount of utility, right? Like you can already imagine people using this in like a Sky Wars style setting for like a PvP combat, being able to knock somebody into the air with ranged knockback attacks is a an interesting prospect for PvP. But I think where a lot of survival players are going to find themselves using this is to boost short range jumps. Because first of all, I think it's really smart that they've accounted for the increase in full damage. You need to fall further, you need to like fall past the height you started from in order to start accumulating full damage. So if you boost yourself off a cliff, yeah, it's gonna hurt. But if you boost yourself up onto a ledge and still fall a couple of blocks, you're not gonna take any damage. So effectively you're giving self like the equivalent of a frog jump or a goat jump, right? Um, So that's that's kind of an attractive prospect. Apparently it takes a bit of skill and timing to boost a jump, but you can get up to like 9 or 10 blocks high, which is huge. And with them being consumable we now have a reason to farm trial chambers which I think is one of the major interesting factors here because a lot of people were thinking of trial chambers as a place where you go there once you kind of raid the whole thing maybe you get some loot maybe you find some interesting spawners but most of the time you're just going to leave it alone after that the breeze having a wind charge having a farmable drop that you can't craft or get anywhere else is going to give players a reason to come back and I think that's a fairly important thing for the Longevity of a trial chamber structure.
0: I'm curious to see what the projectile could be used for beyond just shooting at other players and mobs in a battle situation. I mean, it's cool. It's a it's a nice way to to you know manipulate and and a different way to to fight stuff. But like at at the time that you're taking on a trial chamber, you're probably already going to have a bow and arrow which I think is going to be more efficient against things like skeletons and creepers and zombies anyway. So like, I can't say myself saying, oh, now that I have a wind charge, I'm just never going to use a bow and arrow again. You know, like I feel like there's a very specific use case for them and it could be something as cool as an easier way to move mobs around. Like if you're trying to set up an iron farm or, and you need to move some villagers or you're trying to get a. You know, a, a a bait mob into a specific area, and you're trying to you know move them around by not throwing the wind charge directly at them, but like next to them, so then they they get blown into the boat or they get blown into the the little holding cell that you had ready for them. That kind of thing uh, could be interesting. I do wonder if it would be better if it wasn't just a consumable item in the same way that like a snowball is consumable. Like you can get them easily, and if people figure out how to farm trial chambers, then you'll be able to get the wind charge easily. But as it as you use it it just kind of diminishes and then you have to go get more it would be cool if they also added something that you could craft with the wind charge and be able to be using that over and over again i'm not really suggesting anything that the player would hold but i'm thinking along the lines of combining the wind charge with something else to make something like a fan block or something like a call it a puffer or or something more fun in in minecraft because of the use in the dispenser that it shoots out you know that it it actually fires the projectile is cool but it would be neat if similar to how shears in a dispenser you can use them to shear sheep and i feel like it would be neat if you put a wind charge in a dispenser i mean obviously in this case it gets shot out but if there was a different way that it could be crafted with a a dispenser to make it blow air and that could be really interesting uh in order to move items around thinking like we use water streams a lot in the overworld but you can't do that in the nether because water just evaporates it would be neat to be able to use like wind power to move things around in the nether if you wanted to that kind of stuff
1: something like the the equivalent of a bubble column but uh yeah something that could be arranged in different axes as well like if if you have uh Oh, yeah. horizontally cool. placed, like, fans or whatever, then uh, have it, having that stuff could be fun. And it's the kind of thing that you see in... Um, like platforming games like the old Sonic the Hedgehog games sometimes like with the emphasis being on speed and moving stuff around sometimes there were fans that you could hop over from platform to platform or there'd be stuff that was slowing you down through certain sections and you couldn't run as fast but you could maybe power through them if you had enough momentum and imagine that being applied to minigames and stuff in, in Minecraft is a a fun concept but even just having a dispenser firing wind charges at you down a, a one wide corridor is going to you know, give a little bit of a, uh, an opportunity for players to play around with them as obstacles. And I honestly do think the jump boost thing is going to be quite valuable because while they are, if they're consumable, then it's kind of similar to using ender pearls to get around. But I don't use ender pearls a lot because I find myself wanting to land on a specific block. And more often than not, the block I want to land on is above me. And so I can't always throw the arc of an ender pearl accurately enough to land above me but a few blocks in front like I always overshoot and end up on the other side of the thing I'm trying to get to so I think maybe we end up uh you know using wind charges as an easy way of getting up onto roofs of a a house that you're working on or like a you know jump up to a ledge or something Mm. even in stuff like parkour maps like if you get a limited amount of these in a chest somewhere and you have to use them sparingly throughout the map to get around I think there's there's all kinds of uses for a mechanic as simple as being able to boost your jump. And so I think that's what we'll find the majority of players using them for rather than as any kind of PVP situation. I think you're very likely to find players using these as a a movement technique, as a, a traversal mechanic.
0: Here's an idea. What if you use a wind charge when you're flying with an elytra and it fires you in the opposite direction, but without turning you around? Oh, like interesting! Like a, like a backup button, like air brakes, right? Like so many people want to be able to stop flying with the Elytra because we, we, the way that you slow down now is you spin around <laughs> to, in order to slow your, your momentum and you still kind of glide forward, but at least you're not going at the same speed you were. But it would be really interesting to be able to slow Elytra flight down. Like maybe you blast off with a rocket and you're going too fast to really see what you want to look at. So you shoot you know, maybe it's not as abrupt, like maybe one wind charge is not going to be enough to turn you around backwards, but it will slow you down by a certain percentage. So if you fired three of them in rapid succession, then you might start to back up. But being able to slow your elytra down with a wind charge would be really interesting.
1: I can also see the wind charges being used for elytra takeoff, but then I don't think they're going to be as uh, easy to get hold of as rockets are, because rockets are so eminently farmable and craftable. So I, I don't yeah. I don't know if we'll see people using them for elytra flight through other means, but it could be a, a fun way of getting around. It could be a a way to yeah, launch yourself using a dispenser or something so you can get into a <laughs> a kind of rocket silo, um, step in, close the door, and then get catapulted up and then use that to boost your initial flight. Like I, I can see people doing stuff like that.
0: Do they uh, do they stack? Like if you shot the wall next to you with one wind charge would you go so far but if you shot it with four wind charges at the same time would you go four times as far
1: i don't know if the effect because it has a cooldown right it said in the the changelog mm. i haven't had a chance to hop in and experiment with them myself but it does have a half second cooldown so you would have to time it so that multiple people or multiple dispensers all shot at once and i don't right. know how that would work out but there's a, there's a possibility of that um the individual item stacks to 64 as well so it's not like ender pearls where you can only carry 16 of them at once. Oh, that's good. So yeah, I I think there's there's been some thought put into how players are going to be using that and if the breeze is going to drop four to six of them, maybe that gets amplified with looting, apparently it's not yet, but if it does, then you know, you could end up with players farming them for as many as 10 a pop and if your trial chamber is going to produce a couple of breezes, per round and you've maybe got a setup that can kill the breezes easily or or allow you to get in there and loot them without the breeze being able to escape and run around. I think there is uh, plenty of opportunity to farm these in larger quantities without needing to be there for a really long period of time. So I, I think I can imagine setups where because the breezes occur in specific rooms of a trial chamber and the trial chambers have the the 30 minute cooldown on the spawners right now You could have a minecart track on a timer that takes you to one room and then the breezes in there die through whatever means lava blade whatever you need and then once that's happened it takes you around to the next room where those breezes can spawn once the spawner is on the cooldown and you can afk that slightly so that you could farm those uh yourself and and have multiple of them being farmed from within the same trial chamber just for uh, maximizing the output a little bit. So that, again, this is opening up interesting opportunities and ways that I can think of using trial chambers after I've been there to have the initial experience of one, which is, I think, the positive side of this.
0: What do you think about the changes and the apparent final changes or almost final changes to the armadillo?
1: Yeah, I believe them when they say the armadillo is done now. And I think it's um, it's it's solid. I think it it cuts a nice kind of middle ground between people who thought that the the face still peeking out felt like a little bit not quite true to life. And I like the the cuteness of still having their heads peek out to see like, are they gone? You know, is it safe to come out? Um, and so I think that's that's fun. There's also new animations and stuff, which yeah I need to actually check out. But I think that's a good set of changes. And the armadillo isn't doing anything, you know, game breaking or whatever. But it has enough to distinguish it now from... Uh, some of the other passive mobs out there that I think it has its own character which is what I wanted from the armadillo to begin with really
0: I agree and I'm one of those people that thought that the way that it was rolling up was a little bit odd and I think these changes make a lot of sense add some flavor to it Uh, I like that it kind of pops out to look around when it when it's ready to come out and it makes sense that instead of being threatened and running around like a chicken with its head cut off like other mobs do it just kind of turtles in and and does a little ball thing uh, I I like the changes. I think it it looks good. It's uh, they're they're cute little noises. Uh, I watched uh, Exumavoid's video, and it all seems like right on par with everything else that we're we're getting in Minecraft in most recent updates. Like the new sounds make sense. They're unique. They they you're not going to mistake them for something else. Like it doesn't make the same noise as anything else in the game. So you're not going to like, is that a goat or an armadillo that I'm hearing? Like you're you're going to be able to tell the difference, which I think is is nice. I'm also all about the hopper changes. I think that that makes sense, as long as you know it doesn't cause a lot of problems for for players. It it's a good change, and I think that the larger benefit outweighs the few farms that use that mechanic of of hoppers sucking a block out from within a block above them. I think that having a block because previous I think you had to put in a block with an inventory that had nothing in it above a hopper. Yeah, or like a reduce I think the composters
1: lag. are the most commonly used one for that because they only have right. one inventory one slot. Inventory. And it's, it's, yeah. not, it's not even something that a player interacts with in the same way you do a chest or something. And so yeah. that reduced lag a great deal. But yeah, I like the fact that you can now have basically any block above them. The only thing that I think this alters for me is honey and honeycomb farms. Because both of those currently rely on the uh, the honey bottle or honeycomb being inside the hive block and being collected by hoppers below. But that's an easy fix since you can probably just put hopper minecarts under each of your hives, and the hopper minecarts aren't affected by the same thing because they're entities and they process things differently. So yeah, for the few farms in which this feels like it would be a significant change, there's an easy fix. And I think for larger things like the amount of hoppers I have in my storage system, for example, I have 128 slices of an item filter and I need to make sure that the items get between those. So I have additional hoppers on the corners, making sure that they're all connected. And that's a lot for a server to take on. It's fine in a single player world because it's just me playing there. But I do think it's going to uh, yeah, it's going to allow for players to have fewer issues with that and obviously not need to craft tons and tons of composters to optimize the uh, amount of lag that they're going to make on on servers where that's going to be an issue
0: all the stuff about attributes is above my pay grade but it sounds like things like this are going to be good for data pack and mod authors map makers that want to play with different things like player gravity and all the different changes uh i wonder though if the attributes and they've been reworded and repositioned are the result of new items in the game like the wind charge, or if perhaps there's more coming in 1.21 that we don't know about, and that these are part of making that stuff work, but then also think, oh, well, we've had to make these changes to get ready for 1.21 that also means that we can make these attributes available for datapack authors and mod authors.
1: Yeah I mean it, it makes sense to do that. I think the uh, the safe full distance attribute is the one that obviously relates to the wind charge because that controls the full distance after which an entity takes full damage so you can modify that number as they you know leap with the wind charge and then if it's tracking the the y coordinate at which you started then yeah you can fall a little bit further. So that, that makes a lot of sense. I do think having the others there, it kind of goes in hand in hand with what we were saying previously about it feeling like something that the developers can code back into the game in a smart way instead of feeling like an effect that players relied on, a sort of niche effect, but one that does affect some players is going to uh, be removed from the game entirely with the changes to potions. And it seems like the potion effect of amplifiers are back in that range between 0 and 255 so they figured out a way to code around the way that was stored before but then reintroduce the numbers so that if there are any like legacy maps for example that apply those potion effects at a certain level that it's not going to uh cause issues with those and and you know throw up a bunch of errors when a certain mechanic should be happening so yeah i think it's, it's good that they've uh obviously they've not like rolled back those changes instead they've continued to progress things until it's back to a place the community can be happy with.
0: Moving on to chunk mail, if you'd like to email the show, the address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please keep emails brief and focused on a single topic or idea. We've seen an increasing amount of very long emails lately, and while we really appreciate the enthusiasm, they're difficult to fit into the show. Johnny, do you want to grab this first one?
1: Yes, this is a great example of the kind of length of email we're looking for, actually. This one comes from Kumbaya Baby, and the subject is an Allay Override. Hello, Johnny and Joel. I'm a Bedrock player and predominant builder by trade. In episode 283 regarding building quality of life, you mentioned a great idea of a potential block that acts like a spy cam. What if you could take control of a tamed Allay to have a different POV? Maybe an alley that has been tamed by you could be taken over by your player, which would then be temporarily unmanned, so be careful. A block travel limit while operating the LA would be set, with a block range limit counter appearing on screen while you're close to reaching the end of the range. I'm not sure how this would work mechanically, that's way out of the realm of my understanding. Let me know your thoughts. Cumbi our baby died of old age waiting for usable shaders to be added to bedrock. <laughs> They've snuck in a personal gripe at the end there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think um, this is an interesting extension to the idea that I had which was a fixed block like a security camera block that you could put down somewhere and be able to look through a spyglass to view it almost as though you were looking into a viewfinder but this is more like operating a drone you know it's it's an extension yeah. of that in a, in, a, in a very different way one that allows you to have a bit more control over the range and i don't really know about the um the ui stuff like that feels a little bit too electronic to me which is not yeah, naturally what you would expect from the experience of uh like piloting an LA this way Um, But I don't know. Uh, What was your first reaction to this one, Joel?
0: It was the same. Like when I heard about the UI, I was like, "Wow, I don't know if that's necessarily the way that Mojang would go with that. And also, I don't know how essentially possessing an LA would go. It, mm. They're very cute. and You're ty- trying to rescue them. Yeah, Putting them under <laughs> mind control feels like the opposite this, of what you're doing. It sounds like do. evoker behavior, right? Like this is what, right. what,
1: what the evokers have been trying to do this whole time is set up security cameras in the woodland mansions armed with iron swords. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah no, it, it does feel a little bit evil for something that people have already identified as like a very cute mob that we then immediately give stuff to do. Um, but it's kind of like villagers in that way, where it's like, yes, we're using them for their mechanics, but that's they're part of the game. That's it's a game. That's that's part of the yeah. reason that these mechanics exist. But yeah, I agree. Possessing them feels a little bit, uh, a little bit much.
0: But it made me think that there is magic in the game, and there's also maps in the game. And I was thinking along the lines of something like a magic mirror. Uh, so imagine if you maybe used copper and glass to make yourself a magic mirror, and if you sort of, I don't know tap an allay with that, like a right click, like interact with an allay, the allay will just give you what it's seeing. So you can use the mirror, perhaps in your offhand, thinking like picture in picture when you're in watching like a TV or a sports broadcast or something. And you could then look at the mirror to see what the LA is looking at. Now, the trick there is that I guess you'd have to get the LA to the vantage point that you want and get it to stay there and look at the same thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that's done, but something more whimsical, like a magic mirror or convincing the LA to share what it sees with you uh, would make more sense. And if there was any kind of UI, I could see it being more as kind of like a a hazy overlay as opposed to any kind of digital information. So in the same way that you get that wobble when you go through uh, a nether portal, I could see like maybe when, if you wanted to have a full screen effect, instead of having just the, like looking at some sort of mirror object in your hand, There could be some sort of veil, like probably blue, you know, to say like, oh, just like the frost effect when you're freezing, if the outline of my vision is blue, then I know that I'm looking through the eyes of the LA, you know, and that could be pretty fun. I think, I I don't know how you get the player up there or the LA up there and have them stay put. I, I like, there's a bunch of things about that that I'm not really sure on, but it could be dually useful. Like we were talking as, as builders last time about this kind of thing, but if you could keep the LA there for any length of time and you're doing any kind of like mini game on your server, or if there's a PVP match, like having a lays that could see down into people coming up behind you in the base or, you're waiting to trigger a trap and you don't want to have any obvious triggers. Like you want to trigger it manually. You have to wait for the person to walk by and having an alley tucked up in a tree somewhere that can see what's going on would be fantastic.
1: There you're, your eye in the sky, right? Like the the yeah. the overview of the whole thing. Yeah, like that prospect is always really appealing to me, I think. And just being able to change perspective has all kinds of uses within the game. But yeah, I think the problem with relying on an alley having any kind of natural movement is... Similar to if you've ever clicked on a mob in spectator mode, it's a Java thing for the most part, so I can see as our correspondent is a bedrock player, you might not have an idea of why this is frustrating, but a lot of the mobs are going to have random movement. You imagine the way a cow or a sheep moves, if they are moving, they're moving pretty much constantly, and they're constantly like spinning and looking around, and a player is going to have less control over their perspective if you're just inhabiting that LA's field of view, but you're not controlling which way it's looking or which direction it's traveling and so that's going to be the immediate problem with not having some level of control which is one of the aspects of their suggestion uh with that we have a bit more control over the la but like we said that still doesn't really feel right and if anything it might feel a bit too powerful to pilot a flying mop you wouldn't be able to do much you wouldn't be able to like attack things but i think it, it, it might seem a little bit much and then the obvious kind of ways of keeping a mob stationary like putting them in a boat or something like that is just going to feel like an unnecessary step when the mechanic is supposed to get you from that mob's perspective in the first place the idea that you have to trap them in a boat seems silly it's like why is this not just a block at that point um and i can see why they wanted to put a range on it because The other solution, if it didn't have a range, was that you just fly your LA down into caves and use them to look through chests or at least figure out where the chests are in an ancient city where it's not going to trigger the warden or something like that, right? So there are many ways that you could exploit that to various degrees. And it's the kind of thing that would work really well in a minigame context, but then map makers are smart enough that they can figure out ways to implement stuff like that anyway, if it's in controlled circumstances and not in, in survival Minecraft. I still think the most balanced solution to a mechanic like this is a block that gives you a fixed viewpoint and potentially even a fixed angle of rotation. If you think about how when you're in a boat, you can only really look around you within 180 degrees. I think it's mm-hmm. it, it's ideal to set things up like that and then be able to look at something from a fixed vantage point because that way your block isn't gonna wander off (laughs) and it's not gonna, you know, fly off into unrendered chunks or something like that. I think it, it makes a little bit more sense. Appealing though the idea is of having allays help you with another thing and maybe make them useful to players who don't find their item gathering mechanics useful right now. I think the allay is not the best candidate for this ultimately.
0: I wonder if there could be some sort of theme to the block. So rather than like a camera block as you you know because just that's an easy way to describe it but it also feels very technical for minecraft yes having something like uh a little alay gargoyle or uh, a block that has the alay's face carved into it similar to how you see the the wither you know in sandstone sure that kind of stuff could be interesting if you had you know, uh, one of those blocks and it could be hard to get, you know, something like uh, a lodestone is difficult to get. Mm -hmm. You could do something like that, where it's hard for the player to get. It requires the sacrifice of some fancy resource that they probably don't want to give up. And as a result, then you've got this one block that has, like you said, that 180 degree, probably both vertical and horizontal, but only the front field division. Like you can't look behind you and because it's not moving, then you could also, um, Eliminate that kind of exploitative idea of flying something through caves and, and potential dangers. Uh, and I guess at that point, too, you'd have to figure out, like, if you want it to be in, in, a, in a base but not detectable by their players, like, how do you hide it? Uh, because it has a very distinct look, players are going to be saying, well, that's, that's a stone block, but that's an Elay's face on that stone block. So I know that the player could potentially see me, but it all depends on whether they're using that vision right now you know i
1: i I sort of like that idea in the context of there being a base raid situation where like they'd be Mm. able to identify what the security cameras were and maybe black them out using wool or something and i I think that that could itself provide some some interesting mechanics for the player to rely on i think there are other complications to detaching the camera like what happens if you try to go into third person mode if you're observing something else that's happening on this camera which is again another reason why i think Attaching it to something like the spyglass makes sense and the spyglass also makes it a slightly more challenging uh, quest for resources because then of course you've got to make a spyglass out of geode material so you've still got to go and find a geode. They're not that super expensive to make, but again, like not to bring it back to Echo shards because we have so many emails in our sort of in, in our past of people suggesting things for the Echo shards. But maybe if you make a spyglass yeah. with an Echo shard instead of an Amethyst shard, it becomes something like this. I I don't know. I think it's yeah. it's, it's it's silly at this point suggesting more uses for the Echo shard, but maybe it's uh, feasible in the future.
0: I can imagine the shenanigans that would happen on a multiplayer server where you're building something you've got your very obvious you know vision block up in the air for your own use and then you go to check it and what you see is like that scene from The Incredibles where Edna Mode is talking on like FaceTime—it's <laughs> just somebody's front, face really close straight, up, <laughs> straight up her nose. It's just some other players, like, and all you see is like you know two eyeballs in the top of a Minecraft player head. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I can see people trolling one another like that, and it would be pretty funny, you know. Yeah, yeah, just, great, great opportunity
1: that. for a spyglass jump scare. Yeah, you, you, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, look, you look down the barrel of this thing, and then suddenly, you know, Mario is there or something. Yeah, you can, you can do some yeah. some fun stuff with it for sure.
0: Well, speaking of multiplayer servers, uh, this has actually sparked an idea for a discussion here for me. I've been watching the new Hermitcraft season, as I'm sure you have with the (laughs) uh, Hermitcraft Surprising nobody, I have been watching
1: Hermitcraft, yes.
0: Shocked. Uh, And they have a number of 1.21 experimental features available to them through data packs, including the Crafter. And we thought it'd be fun to talk about the pros and cons of adding experimental upcoming features to the game early. This is done through a data pack on GitHub called No Trial Chambers, a simple data pack that enables the updates of 1.21 experimental features, but disables the trial chambers and the breeze. The idea behind this, from what I can gather, is that they wanted to have access to the new tough blocks, the new coffer blocks, and the new crafter block, but they didn't want to get trial chambers rendering in their world before they're ready right yeah so things like the crafter they felt were pretty solid and they wanted to try that they didn't feel like the the tough blocks were going to go through great changes and so they felt that it was safe to do that but we thought we discussed the pros and cons of, of trying to do something like this
1: yeah yeah it, it makes a lot of sense because trial chambers they're still adding vaults to them they're still kind of tweaking bits and pieces yeah it, it makes a lot more sense for them to uh, to hold off on the trial chambers but yeah um i have been watching a fair bit of it the people who have been using the crafter have surprisingly been using it for a variety of ways i'm pretty sure good times with scar has been using it as a building block <laughs> Uh, where obviously the technical players like uh, I know Impulse and Tango made an iron farm and just had their iron converting directly into blocks. Doc M has been using them to great effect. He now has, from like the early stages of the of the server, sort of week one, he put together something that now crafts pistons for him thanks to a combination of uh, cobblestone farms, an iron farm, a witch farm for redstone, and a bamboo farm that produces wood planks. So he's auto-crafting multiple ingredients so that they can be condensed down into pistons and is now, you know, auto-generating pistons and shulker boxes and, and and whatever else. And his long-term goal is obviously start another, you know, World Eater-style thing, build a perimeter. It's a shortcut and it's removing a lot of the, uh, the, the extra steps of crafting all of that stuff for him, which is, I think, one of the obvious advantages, right? Like, it's saving a lot of time and it means that they don't have to wait for the 1.21 update to come along and effectively invalidate their crafting grind. I think it's a a good thing that the server has access to this now because, you know, if, if they waited five to six months for these features to come out, then it would just be like, well, why didn't I just wait for this to arrive? It's sort of like when you or I have talked in the past about waiting for a specific building block and either not wanting to build something because you know this block is going to come out, or building something in the knowledge that I'm just going to come back later and change all of this. And it sort Mm. of feels like why put the effort in now when we could just wait a couple of months and put the effort in later. But you still want to move forward with those projects and you still want to have some of the stuff that you have been working on for a while done so that you can move on to new things. So... There is a justification, I think, for uh, for throwing in these features now and just letting them have at it.
0: And I think it's a calculated risk. You know, you you look at the crafter and as you said, like it's it's pretty much complete. And and I think that the, the players on Hermitcraft feel the same way. And even if there are some changes to it, like it's probably going to be maybe a small texture change. So if anybody, it might be Scar that has to adjust, you know, the way that he's using it. And I think that's a good thing to point out too and and why he's excited because it goes back to something we talked about last week, which is the crafter is a new functional block, but it's completely placed in any orientation you want. Yeah. And that means that you as a builder get access to every texture on all six sides of it. And I think that's really interesting. And hopefully that's how they treat these kind of new blocks in the future, because it means that it's dually usable for both builders and people that want to do redstone stuff. And, yeah. and any way that the thing changes to um, how it functions... The people that are this excited about the crafter that they want to put it in early are no slouches when it comes to redstone. So if there is adjustments that have to be made, they'll figure it out. It's not like it's going to be the end of the world. I don't think they're going to have to rebuild entire contraptions. Yeah. Just because it might change a little bit. It'll be like, you know, change the value of this repeater or maybe have a different redstone pulse or signal or timing, that kind of stuff. And that's just kind of a, we just want it now learning on the fly. And And I agree with you. I think that because people on these big servers and people that are excited about getting this block early have been playing Minecraft for a while. And it's a way to positively impact the 100th time that you've done early game Minecraft. And as you said, remove a lot of that early game grind if it's not something that you like, if it's something that you're just busy and you'd rather not have to spend the countless hours of gathering everything back up to get yourself to to end game level. And if this is gonna save you time and energy by crafting stuff in the background, uh i my first thought is like the amount of tree chopping that you save by condensing your materials automatically into things like bone going down into bone meal and then into bone block which means you don't have to have like a tower of chests for a skeleton farm you can just have a couple of double chests you're fine even one double chest is plenty for early game and that i think is is saving players a lot of time i also think it's fun like i'm I'm glad to see that they're getting some uses out of it i think too that for people like us watching that either won't or have not yet added things like a crafter data pack to the game it's giving me a pre-release tutorial on yeah. perhaps some of the trial <laughs> and error lessons learned on how to use the crafter and i th- there was i can't remember the specific example but there was it was either an iron farm or something where somebody had to adjust on the fly because of the way that certain items were coming through, and they just decided, oh, it's it's going to be better for me to to do this. Like I think it might have been uh, an iron farm, and the adjustment was the poppies were being saved, but now they're being turned into bone meal, mm-hmm. and it was like an additive change. So stuff like that, I think, is just like the things that you have to think about, and if you're going to have an iron farm with crafters involved instead of just getting rid of all the poppies, it's almost like, well, wait a minute. Once I get a double chest full of poppies or red dye, then I can say, well, all the overflow, I could just put into bone meal and just create bone blocks. Like it's not going to be super fast because it's going to take forever for poppies to fill up a composter. But like, still, it's, it's better than nothing. And the fact that you can do that and use all the parts of the buffalo, you know, to, to use the that phrase, it's just like, it means that you're going to get so much more out of any farm that has like, more than one item coming out of it, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. And and I think going going back to the justifications for adding it in the first place and and thinking why now, I think it speaks volumes about players' confidence in Mojang's new approach to development that they don't mm. worry that the crafter might just be taken away at this point, you know, because Obviously, when we're told about a raft of features beforehand and people are looking forward to specific stuff, there is always the concern that, yeah, like they might decide through the snapshot process that this feature isn't ready yet and it's not going to arrive for a while. And so we have to continue working with the experimental version of it. But now they've started only releasing features when they are basically ready to be put into the game and they've only started announcing stuff when it's going to be put into the game they can implement it on a server like this in the knowledge that the back-end technical stuff of this is not going to change much so presumably when they roll into full release 1.21 they won't need to go through and replace all of the experimental crafters with the new real crafters they'll just be the same block so i think that's that's the other thing that like in previous worlds i wouldn't ever put the survival guide into snapshots not simply because it was a pain to update and there might be some compatibility issues but because I never was certain whether it was okay for me to start making tutorials about these features because they were still going to be undergoing changes but now at this point we can assume the crafter is a complete feature the texture might still be open to change but I think that's only that's the riskiest use of it is in building we haven't seen texture changes for the last few weeks we haven't seen any changes to it functioning I think changes to timing would be arbitrary and changes to function aren't really possible because then you're changing fundamentally what the crafter does, which is an automatic crafting tool. So I think it makes perfect sense for them to start using it now. I think the main downsides to talk about like the the, the cons of this for a bit here is that it reduces the impact of the full release of 1.21 and mostly for the players but i think also for the audience and that's the the thing i'm looking at from like the the sort of sociological community side of things is that a lot of the critical narrative around updates recently despite evidence to the contrary in my opinion uh, is that player perception of them is that they are small or they don't add much uh, which is obviously a, a shortened <laughs> a condensed version of an opinion that they don't add much that that particular player would be interested in um but I, I think like players are, from previous updates, thinking back to stuff like the Nether update or the update Aquatic, the really thematically strong and focused ones, players are looking at groupings of features and features being focused in one area of the game as more important than the spread of features that we've gotten from more recent updates. But with players already playing with some of the more powerful features of 1.21, like the Crafter, if people get used to those and sort of accept them as yeah those those are the blocks that we've had in the game already for a while five or six months ahead of their actual release people stop seeing them as new when they reach full release and then all that happens is that hermitcraft adds the trial chambers and whatever other features are upcoming in 1.21 and players see that as the update and not that plus tough blocks copper blocks crafter and a few other bits and pieces, and the armadillo, which is presumably arriving in a minor update relatively soon. So right. I, I think there is a a concern that I have, and it is part of the reason I kind of I, I did a bit of a double take when I realised that they were actually putting stuff like the crafter and into hermitcraft this this season this early. Uh, is that it feels like you're sort of eating your dinner for lunch you know what i mean like you're 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 kind of having your meal too early and then is it going to lessen the impact of the update for the broader community and is it going to lessen the impact it will have on maybe revitalizing some of the lagging ideas and the sort of ideas mill that goes into content creation isn't going to have as much fuel once 1.21 actually arrives
0: yeah, that was my i feedback as well, is that there's some concern about like reducing the, the specialness of, of these things. I mean, in some ways, I mean, using the data pack and the fact that they're on Java and it, it means that there could be a lot of people watching that just don't have the technical savvy, don't have the time or energy or desire to get under the hood. And they're just like, well, whatever, I'll watch this, but I'm going to wait. I'm not going to get access until until whenever 1.21 comes out and i'll be excited for my own access when that happens but you know maybe i'll i'll just enjoy and, and watch like like live vicariously through other people that are doing it but i i feel like the the risks there are as you said more on the texture stuff so i was surprised when the data pack included the tough blocks and the new copper blocks I was like oh okay they're going all in I thought it was just that they wanted access to the to the crafter and that was it and for me it's I see changes to textures a lot easier to implement and potentially more likely to happen so I wouldn't want to be using the new tough texture blocks or the new copper blocks in any kind of big build in case over the next few months that they ended up changing i could see myself using in them in a small thing like a little starter house uh, as an experiment and excitement to use them but then i would be like well i don't want to do any giant giant build something that's going to be really labor intensive in in case they change because changing something like the tint of the tough bricks to be a little bit more green or a little bit more blue for me in where i would choose to put them would potentially ruin my day (laughs) (laughs) you know having to to go back and change all that stuff so it's more about the the visual way that they're represented in in the world those features for me than the technical stuff the only thing i could think of that would be a big change that might come to the crafter would be like if somewhere somehow they just decided that's a little bit too powerful and they changed the the length of time it took to craft something like a cooldown or something that to me would mean that anybody that had a really complex redstone contraption that utilized the crafter and timing would have a lot of adjusting to do but again those people probably have enough knowledge that they one, they know the risk they're taking if they're making a giant contraption to use the the crafter. And two, they probably also know how to adjust on the fly. They go, oh, the problem is the timing. I'll just adjust the timing. And those that know how to do that, it's not as big of a hurdle for those of us that are more outside the redstone community going like, I don't even know how this works in the first place. And if I copy your build and it breaks, I don't know how to fix it. So that like there's that, that I guess back and forth.
1: Yeah, Um, before we get too far away from the textures thing, I honestly think the same is true of builders in, in in terms of their willingness to adapt. I, I think if, if the tough brick textures changed overnight, there could be two potential solutions to that. The first being, obviously, adjust the build. And I'm sure that a lot of the builders on Hermitcraft would be able to adapt if they relied so heavily on the color or the the you know texture that tough bricks had to begin with they could find some alternative to it the other thing is Hermitcraft has proven in the past that it is not against the idea of just retexturing stuff they've done it with custom items and things in the past and i would say that the blocks having a different texture is a different kind of problem to the notion of the crafter's functionality changing because it's a lot easier for the player to Retexture something for right. a resource pack then it's going to be to completely change the back end of how the crafter works if some change was made to it and they decide no we want it to go back to what it was before like they would have to effectively write a mod to do that versus creating a resource pack that they could just apply in game very easily um, and, and, and individual players could apply that resource pack if they didn't want to do it universally server side. So I think there's, there's definitely, um, an approach that requires some adaptation if the textures are going to change as well. But even if they do plan on making a few changes, I'm sure that the, uh, the players wouldn't notice anything too completely out of place. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure they'd find ways to adapt around it.
0: And I have some personal experience with my next point to... To relay and that is it's specific to content creation but as a person that's sharing your minecraft content online i feel like you're going to be explaining a lot that the crafter and the tough blocks are in the game to people that are not watching maybe every hermitcraft video or every creator out there if you've got people in your community that are relatively new and they're trying to figure out why your minecraft looks different than others uh i have uh coarse dirt slabs they are petrified oak slabs that are only available via uh craft like a crafting data pack you can't get them outside of creative in the game and it allows me to add something like a dirt coarse dirt uh, textured slab without sacrificing another slab in the game but i get a lot of people coming into my chat room on twitch just kind of going coarse dirt slab like what like where's that in the game are you playing modded and it just leads this you know to the point where we have a command in chat that just kind of lets people know yeah there are some data packs here's here's where you can find them so you don't have to go down the rabbit hole of answering those questions over and over and over again and i feel like while it's announced in those videos and it's relying on people watching like the hermitcraft videos from the beginning of the season uh, i think when it comes to other things like streams you're going to see a lot of people coming in and go, Whoa, wait, is the crafter in the game? No, no, it's not in the game. We have a data pack. And it's just, it's something that you probably have to realize that you're taking on if you are a content creator and you're going to be using data packs to bring in, you know, experimental features outside of, you know, even putting it in just the title of your Twitch stream. People don't read the titles. Yeah. You, you know, like <laughs> it's, you, you could put, you know, experimental features active on the Citadel come hang out and they would just be like why do you have this in the game is it out now it's like did you not even read the title so that kind of stuff and it could be also i mean i'm not throwing viewers under the bus i think it could be the platform they're watching on like you go in through a mobile phone i mean that title might not be even fully readable like the first two words might be there and the rest might not be depending on how you're holding your phone and you know what the app is doing so it's uh it's something that 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 information is something that you're going to have to be communicating to your audience a lot.
1: Yeah, and the flip side of that is that some people who are not necessarily regular Minecraft players, but are regular Minecraft watchers are going to think that 1.21 is just out. Yes.
0: (laughs) And that's the other
1: thing, is that people are going to come into our streams and go, why aren't you building with the new tough blocks? And be saying, because they don't exist yet. (laughs) They're not actually here. And so, yeah, yeah, like, obviously that's not Hermitcraft's problem. They're free to do whatever they want. But I think it's it's kind of funny when people have this assumption because they don't keep up with the news nearly as frequently as we do uh, that, you know, the the features must be out by now because i heard about them back in october and surely it doesn't take that long for a minecraft update to be made of course it does um the other counter argument i think to my point from earlier about the notion of these features not seeming new is that they haven't felt new since october when they were new uh they've been in snapshots for a few months now and technical players within about a week i think had created a factory that could craft every recipe in the game so i don't think using them in survival feels that different at this point especially if you can be confident in them being ready for survival and you know a feature that's not going to change significantly before the full release i think it doesn't feel necessarily out of place to be using them in this context already and you were talking earlier about like getting a bit of a pre-tutorial on them before 1.21 actually comes out. There have been people making tutorials on them since October, since the initial snapshots started. So I think it's it's fine for them to be using them in this context. And uh, yeah, I, I think the the notion that they are going to be old news by the time 1.21 comes out, crafters are going to be in the game for ages. You know, at this point, it's it, it's a a bit of a rat race just to figure out who's going to. Make content on them first, and I think we're going to be using them for a long enough time. They're going to have a strong enough impact on the game going forward that I think it doesn't matter how soon you are adopting them, they're going to be a useful feature to you regardless. you think that any recipe that they add to the game in the near future as long as it doesn't require specialized crafting, is something that you can pipe through the crafter. So this thing's going to be relevant to the game for years and and potentially the game's entire lifespan from this point forward. Um, Obviously, this is going to be a subject that will garner some strong opinions. so we'd love to hear from you if you're interested in writing in about the crafter. As Joel said earlier, please do keep emails short and sweet. I know this is a subject on which we like to wax philosophical, but it's always nice to get some concise thoughts via the email. That's where we're going to wrap up this episode of The Spawn Chunks, though. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and the Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash the Spawn Chunks to join our community, where pledging at any level we'll get you an invite to our patrons only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live when we record it in Discord every Monday. We also have our monthly hangouts where our patrons can let us know what they been up to in Minecraft that month. We currently have 317 patrons, which is up three from last week. There's always room for more, of course. Special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Mind Trip Media, Party Voyager, and Yitz. Thank you all for your support
0: on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at the Sponge chunks on social media. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast with your friends. Just tell them about the Sponge chunks and they can listen on their favorite app including iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. Email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixariffs.
1: You can find most of what I do at youtubecom slash where hopefully I should be back into the Minecraft Survival Guide later this week. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, and I should be well enough to do that this week as well, where I'll be doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft Recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixariffs
0: on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online can be linked through joelduggan.com. That includes the Citadel Cafe, my podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. I'm Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Thursday through Sunday, mostly these days, building the West Hill build on the Citadel, trying to finish that up before I move on to something new. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The
1: world outside is infinite and we're feeling the winds of change.